I'm so blessed to have friends in my life that speak the truth of God into my soul. And, uh, and as a church, it's important for you to understand, I believe in the, in the really the autonomy of the local church, that, that we are here, Jesus is working in our city, and, and, and we're trying to figure out how to share the message of life and truth and love with our city. And uh, I don't think we have to have a, uh, we, don't, we certainly don't need a, a person from another uh, city determining everything we do to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ here in this city. And so there's, a, there's an autonomy, but it is so important that we don't become isolated and alone. So we need relationships and we need partnerships and we need connection with people who will speak into us and give us, per, give, again, give us perspective and help us along our journey. We have overseers that speak into the life of our church and, the, and, and my life as a pastor. And so I believe in relational biblical authority, that, that, that there is a biblical authority that we must surrender to, and, and, and it, but it happens in a relational manner. And so I'm so grateful for these kinds of relationships. And so we have, as a guest speaker today, one of our overseers, and his name is Tom Lane. Tom and Jan are here this week, and they've been speaking into the life of our team and our, our leadership team, and we're so grateful for them encouraging us and challenging us. And I think uh, he has a great message for us today to think about and respond to. And so I want you to give a huge One Chapel welcome to our overseer. Overseer, Pastor Tom Lane from Gateway Church in Southlake. Well, good morning to you. I am really glad to be here, and uh, I agree with everything Ross said. I believe in the autonomy of the local church, and I believe in relational accountability. And I love Ross and Amy and the team. We had some great time together over these last couple of days, and I'm excited to be here with you today as well. I think God's doing some great things in Austin and specifically in one chapel, so I'm glad to be with you. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 21, put a, put a stop there, and, uh, and then flip over to Psalm 33. We'll start in, in Luke, we'll go to Psalm 33, but <clears throat> while you're doing that, let's pray and ask the Lord to... Uh, use us and speak uh, this morning. Lord, we just pause now to come to you. Lord, you've chosen this method, the foolishness of preaching, to communicate to us. So Holy Spirit, would you be the one that has an individual session with each person? Take the words and the message and you take them where they need to go to fulfill your purpose in every life. And God will honor you and praise you for the work that's done in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know you guys have had rain down here a little bit, at least in maybe June, May and June, not so much in July. That's the way it was uh, in the Metroplex. We started off with a, a rainy summer, and uh, we also started off with a pretty cool series for the summer months that was called Tipping Point. <clears throat> and in this series, we, we addressed things that are taking place in our society that seem to be at a convergence point, a, a tipping point. Uh, we, we talked about the Israel being at a tipping point. We talked about truth at a, temp, a tipping point. We talked about technology 
at a tipping point, uh, time at a tipping point, and we ended with morality at a tipping point. E each one of these things seemed to have the, the movement of things unprecedented in this generation. Maybe another way to say all this is to say, uh, I have to put myself every once in a while in a timeout from watching the news Be because it creates anxiety. Uh, it creates discouragement. It's like, is everything in the world bad? I mean, is there no good that is happening? It, it's it's a, a day in which we live. And so I want to say to you, if you are maybe discouraged with the way things are in our life and society today, or maybe you're angry, you're, you're an activator person, and you're ready to do something, or maybe you just don't know what to do and you've withdrawn, I pray this message will give you some steps to respond to where things are today. And maybe they're at a tipping point in your life. So if you're there, Jesus spoke about this in Luke chapter 21, and this is what he said. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with, great, with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. In the, I got saved in the late 60s, uh, going into the early 70s, and it was a, a turbulent time. The Vietnam War was taking place. There was desegregation of schools. There was the sexual revolution that was taking place. And there was protest and unrest and rebellion that was taking place. It, it sort of felt like then a little bit like it does today. And, and so I was thinking about this coming out of the Tipping Point series, and I was thinking, well, what, what, are we, uh, what kind of response do we make to that kind of issue. And I, I was reminded of something that in, in every generation, uh, there is a certain degree of, of prophetic fulfillment that makes it feel like we're the generation that's going to see Christ return. And, and uh, a friend of mine said one time, it's like a, the ocean, the tide that comes in. As it comes in in one generation, it comes into the point that you think this is it. Christ is coming. How can it get any worse than this? The, all, all the signs have been fulfilled, and any day Jesus is going to come. And then the tide recedes, and it leaves debris on the landscape of humanity that we have to kind of clean up. And then the next generation, the tide comes in, and it comes in a little further in its prophetic fulfillment. So I'm not here to say if we're the generation that's going to see Christ return, but I am saying it feels like that. It, I'm, I, I am saying... It feels there's a seriousness to the day in which we live. And, uh, and so the title of this message is, How Shall We Then Live? I, I, I drew this, the title from a book that I read back in the 70s by Francis Schaeffer. Francis was an intellectual Christian thought uh, thinker back in the 70s, and he wrote a book by that title, How Shall We Then Live? And the, the premise of his book was that when society is based on the Bible and the recognition of an intimate 
infinite, personal God who cares about us and wants to interact with us. It, these two realities form a foundation from which we can conduct our lives and from which we can govern society. And he went on to say that with God as a part of our behavioral considerations, we have a foundation for what he called um, freedom without chaos. Now, consider that as we read Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. Today, I don't think we have freedom without chaos. In fact, I think we have the antithesis of that. In other words, uh, we have freedom with chaos. Personal freedom it, produced by everyone doing what seems right in their own eyes, doing what is right for them without consideration for its impact or its influence on anybody else. Right. If it's good for me, it's good. I don't care what it what it means or what it does to you. Psalm 33 and verse 10, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the, the nation whose God is the Lord, the people in whom he has chosen as his heritage. Schaefer's words, as I was thinking about this whole idea, my own feelings of, about the things that are taking place in, in this generation and their impact on me and my family and my grandchildren, the news situation. And then I was thinking about all the convergence of these different things that we were talking about in, tipping, in the tipping point. And I thought, Schaefer's words are really a, a kind of a prophetic fulfillment. Uh, they come with prophetic clarity in our day. And, and they cause us to ask the question, what's going on? I mean, what am I supposed to do? Uh, how do we live in a day when there's such agnosticism and disrespect to the Bible and to God and His influence in life? What are we supposed to do as Christians? How should we live when there is, uh, in this generation, when there's so much in question uh, that we seemingly, supposedly, believe in related to God's Word. How shall we then prepare ourselves and our family to successfully navigate the darkness that is all around us? That's the question. Now, there's, there's some specific and intentional life choices that you and I can make today, and that's what I want to share with us today. If we are, if the question for our life is, in the midst of the, these uncertain times, how are we supposed to live? Here's the first thing that I think we should do. Amidst everything around us, we need to live without compromise. The Bible calls us, a relationship with God calls us to live without compromise. God, God told the children of Israel as he was leading them into the promised land, Exodus 23 and verse 32, you shall make no covenant with the nations that I'm taking you into and their gods. They, sh you, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Joshua 23 and verse 6, Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor the left, 
that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. Moses was calling the children of Israel. Joshua was calling the children of Israel to a life without compromise. Serving God means that we live in, in consideration of his purposes without compromise. Paul wrote to the, first, to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up you drunken, uh, from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. We cannot, my, my, uh, my grandmother had this saying, if you lay down with dogs, you'll rise up with fleas. It, it just is a reality. No matter who you're hanging with, if they're not influencing you toward godliness, they're influencing you away from godliness potentially. The question would be, are you being the influence or are you being influenced? In fact, that was the statement that I made to my kids as they were growing up. This was kind of the, the mantra that in, in our home, you're either an influence or you're being influenced. God has called us to be an influence. So when you go out with your friends tonight, you be the influence, you don't be influenced. This, this idea that we're going to represent God in every place that we go. Uh, in order to live without compromise, we need to know and be committed to what we believe. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel 3 and verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar had created this huge statue of himself, and he had commanded everybody uh, to worship the, the statue, fall down as soon as the music started playing. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were the uh, they were the captives from the children of Israel. They believed in God, and they refused to bow down. And here's the account of what took place. Nebuchadnezzar, when he found out that they wouldn't bow down, uh, he was furious. And he answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music... To fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. If you know the story, it just infuriated Nebuchadnezzar. So he ordered the furnace to be fired up seven times hotter. He threw the, these three men into the furnace. And when he looked in, there weren't three, there were four. And he called back out for, for them to come back out. They were walking with Jesus in the midst of the furnace. Their declaration and their willingness to be uncompromised resulted in a testimony in their generation. Their, their statement was, we're not going to bow down. Our God's able to save us, but even if he doesn't, we won't compromise. That's the kind of standard that we need in this generation. Uh, we must translate, translate our beliefs into the everyday circumstances of life. It's not enough 
to think, well, I'm going to be committed to God while I'm here in church, but tomorrow when I head out to my office, if I'm asked to do something that's illegal or immoral or unethical, I'm, that's, that's business, that's life, that's not church. No, we live life uncompromised 24-7. When I was in business, before I came into ministry, I was working in a business that my dad owned, and uh, he had some partners. They had a wholesale paper distribution and had uh, uh, warehouses in the Midwest. That's how I got to Texas. I grew up in Nebraska. And I, I was in Oklahoma City. I was working in the purchasing side of the business. And my, one of my dad's partners came to me one day, and we were the uh, we had the state contract for the state of Oklahoma to provide all of the departments of the state with copier paper. And so it was a lot of business, tons and tons of paper that were shipped there. <clears throat> and so my dad's partner comes by my desk one day and he says, I want you to order a train car load of paper on state contract. And I said, okay, what department does it go to? And he said, oh, it's not going to the state. I'm working on another deal, and I need some special pricing, so I'm just going to buy it at the state contract price. And he walked away without getting my response. And all of a sudden, I'm churning. My heart is churning. I'm thinking, I can't do that. That'd be lying. I, I, would, be, I would be misrepresenting the fact that we're, we're going to sell this paper to the state when, we're, when I know we're not going to sell it to the state. My name's going to be on the contract. I, I can't do that. But it's my dad's partner. It's my boss. Well, and, and so all morning, I'm having this internal debate about what, I'm, what I should do and what if it embarrasses my dad. And uh, You see, when compromise sets at our face, it, it doesn't just say, will you compromise, yes or no? It has these little tentacles that wrap around us and say, so-and-so is going to be really hurt if you don't do that. You, you know, you, you could be embarrassed. You might even lose your job. Your, your dad, your, you get a call from your dad saying, what are you thinking? And I, all of this is going through my mind that morning, and I think, you know what? I, I, it, it just doesn't matter. I cannot do this. I don't have a peace. So I determined if it cost me my job, I don't know that I thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and Binnacle, but it would have been a good motivator, you know. I, I, don't, I tell you, Ralph, my God is able to save me, and if, even if he doesn't, I'm not going to order this for you. <laughs> See how you can contextualize the scripture? Well, I, I determined, okay, I settled in my heart. If it cost me my job, I'm not going to buy this paper. And after I'd got it all settled, he comes by the desk and he goes, oh, by the way, uh, forget about ordering that paper. I don't, I don't need it anymore. I went, oh, man. I, I had this... <laughs> I spent all morning wrestling. If I had known you were going to do that, I would have had a, a lot easier morning. I didn't say all that to him. I thought it, though. <clears throat> we need to translate our beliefs into everyday circumstances if we're going to live a life without compromise. <clears throat> and then, uh, maybe this is sort of illustrated already, but we need to be willing to pay the price for, stand, for standing for what, it re what is required. It'll, it'll cost us something if we're not going to compromise. I was thinking about the Green family and the Hobby Lobby decision that they made to stand up when Obamacare came down and they said, we're, we're being demanded to do something that is against our faith. And they, in the face of multi-million dollar penalties, they stood 
uncompromised. We're, we're going to have to be willing to pay a price if we're going to live a life that's uncompromised. Here's the second thing. We're going to have to live with purpose. Matthew 5 and verse 14 uh, says this. Jesus was talking and he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our, our, God intends our life to be a beacon of an example for other people to follow. The, the picture I have is a, a flat plain with a, a hill, a, a large, not a mountain as such, but a, a, you know, a raised up place that for miles down the way, you can look up and see the city that's on the hill and you navigate according to the city. I'm going there. That's where I, where I want to go. Our lives are to stand above the, the details of life in our generation in such a way that it becomes a beacon for other people to navigate with. We, we're going to live our life with purpose. Now, when I think of living a life with purpose, I'm, I'm reminded when, when our children got into their teen years, I was thinking, man, it's gone by fast. They've grown up so fast, and they're getting ready to leave our home. And, and uh, so when our oldest was, uh, was the fir first there, I thought, have I done enough to prepare him as he, you know, thinking about college and so I sat down one morning in my quiet time, and I started writing down the things that I wanted to make sure that I had taught him, things that I had, had uh, covered so that he was prepared. Well, and it didn't take me very long. I had 25 or so different things, and I thought, wow, this is going to be a long list. So I, I pulled back and said, what are the principles that Jan and I have tried to live our life by, and then we've made decisions for our kids' lives, that now they're going to, it's up to them. They, they need to choose. Do they want to live by the, by the purposes that we've lived our lives by, or are they going to live by something else? <clears throat> so I wrote these five purposes down, and, and when I did, I went back to Jan, and I said, honey, do these reflect us? Are these our, I think these are the purposes with which we've lived life. Here's, here's what I found out. Most people, every one of us in here have a purpose. That we have, uh, we have things, that, st strategic beliefs that we live our life by, but most of us have never taken the time to write them down. Right. And so it, it happens organically. Well, what I did is I took down, I wrote down what was organic up until that point, and I made it realistic in, uh, in our life. Jan said, yeah, this, this is it. Then I went to each one of our kids as they got into their teens, and I said, these are the things that your mom and I have sought to live our life by. And we've made decisions for you based on these purposes. Do you want to live your life like that? This is the kind of intentionality I'm saying. We need to live our life with purpose. Each one of our kids, I said, I don't want you to live fake around me. If you're not going to live by these purposes, tell me what purposes you're going to live by. And, but if you tell me you're going to live by these, then we're going to hold each other mutually accountable to the purposes that we believe in. And we've, we, uh, we've done that. I, <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 7 uh, says this, You shall teach 
the, the principles, the ordinances of God, diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It's the, the idea of we're going to seize the moment. Every opportunity that I have to give an input or to teach a principle or to un give an underlying uh, purpose, I'm going to undergird that as I relate to my kids. When we're rising up, when we're sitting down, when we're by the way. And it, here's, here's what happens. <clears throat> when, you, when, you, when you define your purpose, you seek to live by your purpose, then you know when you're not fulfilling your purpose. And so each one of our kids had moments in their lives when uh, they, they didn't think about the behavior of their life, and I would say to them, I, I want to talk to you about this behavior. And they go, oh, sure. It, it, they related to me as if I was being legalistic. I said, no, 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 I'm not going to say, I'm not telling you, I don't want you to do that. I want you to defend it in light of the purpose of our life. You see, if, if we hold each other to legalistic standard, then we become resistant to one another. But if we simply say, I just want to know, if you believe these things, then why aren't you living them? And if you are living them, can you explain this behavior? We're going to live a life with purpose. Here's the last thing. We need to live our life to love. In Luke 15, there's a story of, uh, Jesus tells a story of a father that had two sons. It's the story of the prodigal son. And one of the sons came to his father one day and said, I, I want my inheritance. Now, we may not necessarily think that's any big deal, but then it was the same thing as him saying, I want to be disowned by the family. Get, give me my portion, I'm leaving. I can only imagine as a dad what that dad felt like. You're rejecting the values of our family. You're rejecting me. You're, you're saying that, I haven't been generous to you or taken care of you. It, you. You are cutting yourself off from this family to go do your own thing. Maybe, maybe you've been in a situation where someone has mistreated you. They've, they've demanded something from you, taken advantage uh, of you. You felt rejected or hurt, just like this dad. And the temptation is to say, I'm not loving in that. I'm not going to give my life to something like that. I'll, sure, I'll give you your inheritance and cut you off, and I don't care if I ever see you again. That would have been the human response. But Jesus tells the story of the father. He empowered with his love. He gave the inheritance and said, go. He didn't keep him from going. He didn't try and manipulate him into staying. He didn't, he didn't uh, check on friends far away. There's no indication. He just allowed the circumstance to play itself out waiting for his son to return. So what does love do? Love empowers. It doesn't enable. Love believes. Think, think about this. He spent all the money in riotous living, the scripture says, and he was eating the pods that they were feeding to the pigs. Now some people when, when their children get into difficulty, they've, they've rejected the values of the home, they've left, and the parents say, well, I don't want my kids to be eating the pods they're feeding the pigs, and so they enable still the rebellious behavior. 
He came to the lowest place in his life and said, you know what, I think I'm going to go back and just uh, repent to my dad, and I'm going to be a servant in his house. Love empowers, it doesn't enable. Love believes through the eyes of faith. The dad, I, I just imagine him seated on the porch on a daily basis, looking down the road saying, I wonder if today's the day my son's coming home. The situation that you've encountered that has been hurtful or devastating and, and tempting not to love. Do we look with eyes of faith to say God can change that, that situation? Love hopes based on God's faithfulness to his word. That God promised in this situation, this would take place. And I know if I'll love through this situation, God will be true to his word. Love endures through the testing troubles of life. How are we going to live our life? That's the question. What, what are we supposed to do in this generation? I, I believe what God is calling us to do is to commit to an uncompromised life. One, one that is lived with purpose. The, the uncompromising nature is not out of legalism. It's out of purpose that God calls us to. And out of that purpose, we live a, a life of love that extends itself to other people, drawing them into the presence of God in our life. Bow your heads and let me pray with you. Lord, we, we need you. We want to be the light that you have called us to be in this generation. Lord, we want to live our lives uncompromised, with full purpose, and God, in, in the loving manner that would demonstrate who you are to the people we encounter. Lord, would you empower us to do that? Would you enable us to, to live as you have called us to live, above the circumstances of this generation, so that we might be your influence in a great and mighty way? In Jesus' name, amen.